Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 9. The title of this message, Justified by the Blood. Unsure? Anybody identify with that? Justified by the blood. Justified by the blood. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 19. It says there in verse 19, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, let's ask the Lord for help this morning. Father, Lord, I just come to you, Lord. Lord, like I just said, Lord, just feel so feeble, oh God, just coming to this great subject of the precious blood, Lord God, and the mighty blood, Lord, thinking of the accomplishments of the blood, Lord. And, and Father, I thank you, Lord God, that as we do come to the blood, Lord, Lord God, I don't think I'm alone, oh God, in feeling my inadequacy with this thing, Lord. Lord, we want to know more of the blood, Lord. We want to know the blood in a, a newer and a more profound way. And Father, it's my prayer this morning as, as we just gather around this topic for these, just, just this short while here this morning, Lord. I pray you'd reveal and open it up to us, oh God. Open now our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law, Lord. That's what the psalmist said, and that's our prayer here this morning, oh Father, Lord. We love you, we thank you, oh God, that we can sit here, Lord, justified by the blood, Lord, knowing that blood has been shed, knowing that that spotless Lamb of God has been. And Father, Lord, like it's already been prayed, Lord God, that it is finished, Lord, that there's a finished work, oh God, that benefits us here this morning, oh God. Father, we love you, Father. We thank you, O oh God. And Lord, you've been so good and merciful and gracious and kind unto us. Father, help us to hear what you'd speak unto us this morning, Father. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Hebrews 9. It says there, uh, it says, Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. Um, you'll notice there, that it says Moses, he, um, when, he, when he had spoken every precept to the people, um, that he took that blood and sprinkled both the book and all the people, and um, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. And moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And friends, you know, we're talking about this tabernacle as, as, um, as, as uh, the children of Israel moved across the wilderness and the desert there. And this tabernacle, this place that was uh, the dwelling place of God and a place where God came down and a place where uh, uh, the priest service unto God and all these things were as perfect as they could have been you know you have the tabernacle that was built according to God's plan and his order and and his patterns and and everything was done just right in a sense but still it needed this sprinkling of the blood it says though uh, it says there um, almost all things are by the law purged with blood and that word purged literally means to cleanse or make clean so you could say almost all things by the law are cleansed or made clean with blood um, all throughout scripture there is this consistent theme of the sprinkling of the blood making clean making acceptable to God it was that that was the function of the blood it was the blood uh, it, 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 it was according to God's uh, divine will and purpose um, 
It says, without, blood, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. That word remission means freedom, or it means pardon, deliverance, forgiveness, or liberty. So without shedding of blood, there is no freedom, there is no deliverance, there is no forgiveness, and there is no liberty. When we go to Romans, you don't have to turn to these scriptures that I mentioned here, but Romans 5 verse 9 there, and this is where I just took the title for this message this morning. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. This verse in Romans tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ justifies us, that is, pronounces us as righteous, innocent, guiltless, justified. Friends, what a position to be found in this morning. Justified. You know, what a contradiction of terms, what a contradiction or another paradox it is that we should sit here as sinners, as those who hated God. And, you know, even though we might have done a lot of religious service and taught ourselves very good and, and very holy and very pure living. Do you know, when God comes and starts to have a dealing with us, doesn't he show us the rottenness of our own hearts? And what another paradox or a contradiction this morning that we should stand here this morning and at our testimony money written over our lives should be justified by the blood. I absolutely love it this morning. I don't understand it in its fullness. I don't understand it in its entirety. I still go, Lord, really, really? I remember what my mind was. I remember who I was outside of Christ. I remember how set and how hard my heart was. I remember how in love I was with my own life and, 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 and everything I was giving myself to and everything I was involved in. I remember just how I loved drugs. I loved drink. I loved motorbikes, I love cars, I love just my life, living my life my way, but friends, to be able to stand here this morning, I am justified by the blood, and it's a contradiction and I don't understand it, and if you're here this morning saved, you're justified by the blood, justified by the blood I just find that mind-blowing and amazing this morning. It's still overwhelming. It's still refreshing. It still lifts our eyes up on high. It still brings a tear to an eye. I'm telling you, justified by the blood. Just as if we had never, ever, ever sinned. That's what, that's what it means. Um, how the blood provide, uh, pronounces us righteous, innocent, guiltless, and justified. Friends, um, that means our position is the same as Adam and Eve's before they sinned. You know, sin having not entered in. How does a man or woman gain such a position? Could we have got it by our efforts? I know I couldn't have. Could we have got it by the sweat of our brow or by impressing God? There's so many caught up in that. There's so many caught up in uh, just barefoot pilgrimages and, and whipping themselves along the way as they do to try and please God, to try and reach out to God. No, it says we're justified by the blood. What a precious, precious phrase. Do you know that that is what marks you out if you're born again? That's, it's the blood of Jesus on your life. That is how God sees us. Do you remember that chorus we sing? We haven't sang it in a while and maybe we need to sing it again so we do need to sing it I'm covered over with a robe of righteousness my father gave to me I'm covered over with the precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me oh what joy it is to know my heavenly father loved me so and gave to me my Jesus when he looks at me he sees not what I used to be but he sees Jesus we've been justified by his blood that precious blood sits on our lives like the blood of the lamb sat on that doorpost and lintel in, in, in the, the those children of Israel's houses in Egypt. That's how the blood sits upon our lives. And he said, he, he says uh, of us, as he said in that day, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over. That blood is a sign for God. You know, you'll know, you'll note that when, uh, when, when they put that blood, when they had to, to kill that lamb and put that blood on the doorposts and on the lintel, that when they were inside the house, they were inside the house that night, they couldn't see the blood, uh, the blood, 
they couldn't sense the blood. They just, by faith, they knew we've, we've, we've put our faith and trust in that blood. It's on the doorpost and lintel. We've been obedient to what we've been told to be obedient to. And that blood is a sign for God, a token of obedience. And so it is in our lives here. We've been born again, washed in that blood, marked in that blood, justified by the blood. Well, that blood is a sign to God, a proof that an innocent lamb has died just as it was in Egypt and that there is faith in the blood of the lamb. That's what we've done, just like they have in Egypt. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 25, as we're often reminded as we gather around the Lord's table here, these verses that just in, instruct how our conduct is to be around the Lord's table. Often reminded there that Jesus said the New Testament was in his blood. He said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. And this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And that's key this morning to kind of what I want to bring us around is this, this idea of remembering the blood and Remembering the accomplishments of the precious blood. Um, he, Jesus instructs us to take particular care to remember him in these things. Uh, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Um, and so that blood is to often be on our mind as believers. And you know, to many people, I remember, you know, you come into church and you start hearing about blood and you kind of go, oh, this is a gory place. There's a, lot of blood, there's a lot of blood being talked about in here. What is this people's fascination with blood? But when you start to understand it was that blood and um, without shedding of blood is no remission. I'm telling you, that blood becomes, and we'll look just in a little while, the precious blood of Christ more than just the blood so that blood is we understand in scriptures to be often on the forefront of our mind you didn't have a person throughout scripture that was ignorant of the blood or what the blood was for or what the blood what the blood was supposed to accomplish even even in all throughout the old testament you didn't have that people knew about the blood and then in Ephesians 1 it says that God has made us accepted in the beloved that's Jesus and that we have redemption through his blood and it makes it clear there in Ephesians 1 that the redemption Redemption is the forgiveness of sins and it's all according to the richness of his grace, him giving us what we definitely, definitely did not deserve. Having redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. But through all of that, found accepted in the beloved. And when he says we're accepted in the beloved, that means, that literally means what the word means there is endued with special honor. That's you this morning. If you're born again, if you're washed in the blood. And the reason I'm saying this and the reason I'm emphasizing this this morning is because often we don't feel this. Often we've had a bad week. Often something has rattled our cage. Something has caused there's some anxiety of mind and all of a sudden we mightn't feel very saved anymore or it's just someone stood in your toe and you barked back at them and you know these things these thoughts can get in but friends I want to tell us this morning okay I want to remind us that our position does not change okay um it says here that we're accepted in the beloved. That literally means I've been undued. I've, you've been endued with special honor. Or it means highly favored. You've been highly favored. And it means you can't actually get to a higher or a better position than this. And this is what I want us to see. I want us to lift our eyes up and see our position in Christ this morning. And friends, we didn't attain it ourselves. We didn't get there ourselves. It wasn't a position we got to by hard work or knowing how to persevere climbing or because we We've now reached a level of, of, of personal holiness. You know, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. But in that chapter, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and robber. 
This position of favor before God cannot be barged into. It cannot be climbed up to. It can't be got into another way. There's no scenic route that you can take to get into a place of favor with the Lord. Jesus said, I am the door. If you've climbed up some other way, if you found your way here some other way, you're a thief and a robber. But the position of favor before God cannot be climbed up to. Only by being accepted in the beloved, having that redemption through his blood, having the forgiveness of sins. It's the only way it can be attained. Friends, do you know, you think of so many people, uh, I was never this kind of a person, I was never too concerned with religion before getting saved, but I knew plenty of people who were, plenty of older people went to mass every day and did every kind of a medal hanging off them and did every kind of a, a, a token, Mary smiling, a collectible that you could you could take away with you out of the church. Um, every kind of thing gathered around them, just living in a kind of a superstition and living in a kind of a hope that you know all of this somehow might curry favor with God or might put them in a, a place of right standing but this position cannot be entered into like that only by having the forgiveness of sins forgiveness of sins doesn't come through a confession box ends it doesn't come through the lighting of a candle or some kind of a vain hope the forgiveness of sins redemption through his blood being accepted in the beloved do you know, Jesus said, many will stand before me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, look at what I've done. Look at the miraculous things I've done, Lord. Many will stand before me on that day. And you know, Jesus was referring to people, pointing to these things as some kind of a bargaining chip, some kind of a bargaining tool. Lord, look at what I've done for you. He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Personal relationship is part of the new birth, is part of being justified by the blood, is part of being justified by faith. Personal relationship with him, being placed in Christ. No, scripture tells us that our position of being accepted in the beloved, that's our position because of the new birth. We're in Christ. Christ is his God's beloved, God's only begotten son, and we are accepted in the beloved. Friends, these are biblical facts relating to our position in Christ. And there are biblical facts, and I'm going to say this numerous times this morning, that we need to return to again and again. And I'm going to give us reasons why we need to return to these again and again. You know, you and I were physically here in Baker Place in Limerick this morning but we understand that God doesn't just only see our physical location but also sees us in Christ his beloved son you don't always see you like that I don't always see you like that but God always sees you when you're born again in Christ in his beloved son our position before God in relation to salvation is again confirmed in Ephesians 2 we're told there that God is rich in mercy and that he loved us with a great love even when we were dead in sins friends it's the grace of God that's the love of God do you know we could love someone who does something nice for us. We could show them affection, but not so with God. He loved us when we were dead in sins. And it says that he has quickened us. And that word quickened literally means he's reanimated us. He has made us alive with, and he has joined us in perfect unity together. When it says he has quickened us together with Christ, it literally means that we've been conjoined. Um, we've been so overlaid that you can't tell the difference with Christ. Um, he's, he's, he's made us alive with Christ. It says, by grace are ye saved. But it says that God has raised us up together and made us sit together there again in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
accepted in the beloved and made, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you know, I remember uh, reading Watchman Nee explain opposition in Christ before. And I remember he was saying, do you know, like we're like a piece of paper, okay? And when we're placed in Christ, he said, it's like you take that piece of paper and you place it in a book and you close the book. And he said, that's your life in Christ. He said, now everything that is true of the book is true of that piece of paper. Whether I were to take that book and post it all the way around the world, the piece of paper has no choice but go with it if I were to take the book and burn it in a fire the piece of paper gets burned with it and he said that is our position with Christ we often tend to view these things like we're in and out of Christ but he said that is our position in Christ and what is true of Christ then is true of us and it's because of that it says that he's made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and there are several scriptures that confirm our position in Christ Jesus because of the new birth because of the blood of Jesus do you know we've been elevated lifted off of this earthly plane that we've lived on um, you know, we don't always see ourselves as God sees us. We do have troubles. There is hindrances in this life. We don't always see clearly. Sometimes it's a foggy day out, spiritually speaking. Sometimes uh, it, it looks a little hazy and we can't see as clearly as we did yesterday or as we would like. But it says in Colossians 3 that your life is hid with Christ in God. And these scriptural facts are true outside of our feelings, outside of how we feel this morning. Our feelings can fluctuate. I know mine do. My feelings fluctuate. But these facts facts still stand and I'm telling you right as we come back and as we start to examine and look at these facts and remember the blood and remember the accomplishments of the blood and that we're justified by the blood and remember why and that it was so external to us and outside of us and it was God who drew us and it was God who called us and it was God who wooed us and it was God who softened our hearts he made us Oh, friends, I tell you, that starts to put a spring in your step again. Do you know, these feelings do fluctuate. But as we come back and look at these, we remember these facts of Scripture again. Friends, we walk by faith, not by sight. Our sight is one of our five senses. Um, you know, you go by your senses all the time, you'll be deceived. But we walk, certainly spiritually speaking, we walk by faith, not by sight. We may not be consistent, but he is gloriously, 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 gloriously consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never changed. That blows my mind. When I read of Moses here in the Old Testament, I know things have changed, but he has never changed. When I read of Moses and Abraham, that's my God. When we pray in our prayer meetings on a Friday night or on a Sunday morning here, we're praying to that same God. Abraham prayed. He hasn't changed. He hasn't been replaced he hasn't been superseded ask the God we pray unto and he never changes it says in scripture Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever my, my life and position are hid in one who never changes. Oh, friends, that refreshes me. That, that, uh, that overwhelms That gives me stuff to think about this morning when I, when I come back to think. My life and position in, are, are hid in one who never changes. Always the same. And that is cause for rejoicing. When we begin to disregard our feelings and accept by faith these great facts, these things that are ours because of the shed blood of Jesus, we start to recognize the blood as Peter does in 1 Peter 1.19 because he calls it there the precious blood of Christ. And when you know Peter and you know Peter's character and you know how Peter behaved and how he was and you know how Peter must have thought sometimes just at his own behavior and you know denying Christ and uh, you know after, after, it's all over, after it's all over he says I go, I go fishing and you know we understand Peter was a very, very impulsive kind of guy. And I just wonder, when Peter's calling it the precious blood, 
He started to discover these. That's what I think. He started to discover and, and, and think about the blood. And, and he, he attached a value, it fixed a value to the blood. It became the precious blood of Christ. Because he acknowledges that it's the precious blood that redeems us. Friends, it did more for us, more for our souls, than all of the gold or silver in the world could ever do. And you think about that. You think of how gold is regarded in this world right? It's precious. Men store it up. They go to great lengths to, to, to rob it, to rob in cash in transit vans, trying to get their hands on gold, robbing jewelers to try and buy it, saving up money to try and buy bars of gold to store it up. And you think of everything that goes on around the world uh, there to, to, to dig gold out of the ground and the millions that are spent just to find gold. You know, gold has to be transported in armored vehicles and stored in underground bank vaults. That's the value that's attached to gold in this world. And yet you have the precious blood of Jesus by comparison, trodden underfoot, not even by sinners out there, but most of the church. But most of the church who, who, who don't realize the, 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 the bank vault that they're sitting on, the, the access that they have to these things, the precious blood of Jesus is considered nothing. But gold is considered so precious and yet it is nothing. It's corruptible compared to the precious blood of Jesus. You know, friends, men have spent their whole life amassing gold and money and treasure and gone to hell at the end of it all. All that gold could do for them when they died was buy them a nice coffin and a shinier car to bring it to the graveside. Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Friends, when you start to think in terms of the soul and what it costs to redeem a man or a woman, you start to realize this is the blood of Christ that was shed it's very very precious his precious blood of Jesus gave us freely something that could not be bought something that could not be earned something that couldn't be gained by bargaining eternal salvation eternal salvation do you ever stop and think on eternity sometimes I do sometimes I just sit there and I go it's forever and ever and ever and I keep going like that and you know the smile gets bigger the more, the more, the more evers that are in there eternity goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and friends do you know what to be eternally saved to know your name's written in the Lamb's book I'm going to keep doing that you're all smiling when I say forever that is eternity forever and ever and ever will you be saved you'll be no more tears no more crying there no more sorrow no more pain no more anxieties no more wondering no more wondering have I, have I crossed the line friends I'm telling you I'm telling you this, you know you start to think of eternity and eternal salvation and being with the Lord forever it does put a spring back in your step but conversely, aren't there those? They'll be eternally lost, eternally damned, eternally the lake of fire. I'm talking hell, hell, hellfire. Can you imagine the torment of knowing you've heard these things, of knowing you've came face to face with salvation, of knowing that uh, somebody had gone to you, uh, wanting to witness to you, um, and seeing all these things clearly in eternity. Can you imagine the torment of Lord? I pushed that Christ away. I slapped that hand away. The hand that was reached out to say, I slapped it away, said, I don't need you. To, said, said it was all fairy tales. Uh, said I was an atheist. Said I didn't want to hear those things. I didn't need it. Friends, I, I trembled to think that's what I was before I got saved. That's what I was. I just had time for none of those things. That's a frightening, frightening thing. But the blood of Jesus is holy. Do you know when an animal was being chosen for those sacrifices in the Old Testament? It had to be an animal without spot or blemish. We read that in the Old Testament. You frequently read this term, without spot. And that, that means that that animal had to be examined closely. And any fault found with that animal meant its immediate rejection. Couldn't be used. That blood could not be shed and used to sprinkle. Any fault found with that animal. But you know, Jesus was perfect in every way and he was the Lamb of God, came to take away the sin of the world. He was the spotless Lamb of God, that man of Calvary, perfectly holy. And this means that his blood was holy blood. 
He pleased God. Do you remember on the mountaintop where Jesus is there with Peter, James and John and, and God spoke and this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The shedding and sprinkling of blood all throughout the Bible is related, is directly related to sin and to guilt and death and judgment. Why was an animal killed? Why did the blood need to be sprinkled? Well, it was all because of sin, all because of guilt, death and judgment. It was all because of man's inadequacy. Uh, it says in our opening text that we read in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood is no remission. So these animals in the Old Testament as part of these ritualistic sacrifices were killed again and again and year after year. But the frequency and the repetition of those sacrifices pointed actually to their imperfection. There was only so much a little lamb could do. There was only so much the blood of a bull or a calf could do. So, and the fact that it had to be repeated again and again, even every time the high priest went in, that inner veil, you know, the, the shedding of the blood, again and again, um, it pointed to the imperfection of these things. But Hebrews 9 goes on to say, it says, but now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, sin was never put away. Sin was never dealt with. Sin was just momentarily kind of expiated. Uh, momentarily, there was an animal sh shed for that, that, that occasion. And you knew, you knew if you were going to stick around in those days that it was going to have to be done again next week, next year, that there was going to be more sacrifices. But it says, once in the end of the world has he appeared now to put away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. It wasn't just another bull or a goat or a calf. It was, this was the spotless lamb of God. And it also says that Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Friends, we're talking about being justified by the blood this morning. And like I've already said in I believe we as believers in this hour, in this age we live in, I believe we need to frequently come back and look at these things in scripture and go over these scriptures and look at all the scriptures that relate to justification by faith and justification by the blood and go back and remind ourselves what the word atonement means and what sanctification is and, 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 and what redemption is and, and we need to come back and learn and relearn and remember these things and, and there's a number of reasons why I believe that we're living in a very deceptive hour. You know what can be shaken in this hour will be shaken there are spiritual demonic forces at work to try and shake you to cause you to question what you've held to and believe to try and cause you to stumble and to fall and to fail and I like uh, something I saw sister Sharon say this week she said you know she said I don't see uh, I, I'm not a person that looks for to see is there a devil behind every bush um, but you know in a certain scenario she's talking about she's dealing with she said I see it here I see an enemy that's come out to oppose us and we're living in a very deceptive hour so we're not walking on eggshells going is there a devil going to jump out from behind a wall and frighten us not at all at all but I'm telling we must understand and we do understand that there are spiritual demonic forces at work to try and shake us to cause us to question things that scripture that isn't even up for question in scripture to try and cause us to stumble or to fall or to fail Friends, it's time to hold to what we've believed to. This world is not accommodating to the born-again believer. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. You are daily bombarded. You are, I am, social media, billboards, people we speak to, radios, televisions, daily bombarded with ideologies, the propaganda of Satan, designed to try and bring you back into subjection to him, designed to keep the eye or to keep the mind of the unbeliever blinded and walking in chains and darkness. That is the propaganda of Satan. And you know, 
if, if you've ever looked at what, you should go and look at what propaganda is, some of the pro, old propaganda stuff from, did, from wars that have happened and things. And, uh, you know, convincing stuff, convincing stuff, appealing to your logic, raising questions where there oughtn't to be questions raised. The propaganda of Satan designed to bring you back into subjection to him. This is an hour in which we need to walk in the light. What does that mean? When you're walking in the light, you can see all around you. It's different to walking in darkness. You know what happens when you walk in darkness. You walk outside in darkness. I used to go for a lot of midnight walks years ago. You know, you didn't have a torch. You were going to trip. You were going to stand in something. You were going to twist your ankle. But we need to walk in the light where everything is visible. We need to walk in our light. That, ta- that means we're talking about honesty, being honest, uh, keeping open and confession and we need to know what it is to walk closely with the Lord. Friends, if you can be made to forget these fundamental things of our salvation to do with the blood and justification and redemption, you will be made to forget them. If it's possible, you will be made to forget them. There are deceptive teachers within the body of Christ. We are told in scripture, not a popular teaching, but something again I believe very much we need to be aware of. We are told that we must weigh and judge the things we come across. We're living in an hour that says you can't judge. You're not supposed to judge. You're unloving if you judge. No, Jesus said you'll know them by, by by their fruit. There's a type of person that's not supposed to judge. If you're living in hypocrisy, not walking right before the Lord, you're not supposed to judge. But we're supposed to know know those in the body of Christ by their fruit. We must weigh and judge the things we come across. We must walk realizing we are in a deceptive hour. Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, that we are to identify, we, us believers, we are supposed to identify and mark out those who are the cause of divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine that we have learned. That means we've got to know and understand the doctrine we've learned. That means there's an emphasis on every believer here, every one of us. And I know we're imperfect. I know we feel our frailty, our weakness, our inability in these things. But I'll tell you what, if someone can go to college and study and learn... My wife, Victoria, right, she became a, a, a qualified social worker over in the UK, right? She's severely dyslexic. It still hinders her so much to this very day. But I'll tell you one thing, right? She was so determined prior to getting saved. She was so determined to get that qualification. Dyslexia didn't stand in the way. Learning difficulties didn't stand in the way. Friends, if people can do that for a natural diploma, that means actually nothing in the light of eternity. How... Oughtn't we to be able to go back and study and learn and become familiar with these things? Do you know what it says? Um, mark those who, who, who cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine we've learned and avoid them. So that means we ought to know the doctrine that we've learned. We ought to become familiar with the doctrine that we've learned. That word doctrine, I have heard Christians scoff at that word doctrine. That word doctrine means teaching, but doctrine almost is like a dirty word to some believers. Something they don't want anything, that old doctrine, don't want anything to do with doctrine. But friends, it says we are to know the doctrine that we've learned, and the reason we have to know the things we've learned, the reason we have to know the things of Scripture, so that when someone comes along and they're, they're living wrong, or that they're trying to persuade us to go a different direction, that we're, able to, we're supposed to be able to identify that. It says mark them and avoid them. But you know what, friends? It can be difficult to identify this type of deception because it says in the next verse, it says in uh, Romans chapter 16, 7, 8, verse 18, it says that they'll deceive the simple in the church by good words and fair speeches. That's what you said, good words and fair speeches. 
It's not bad evil words and foul language. They're not coming in the door effing and blinding. They're not coming in the door saying, you're all a bunch of heretics, come and follow me. No, they know how to talk to talk. They know how to walk to walk. To some degree, they know how to keep up an appearance. And it says, they've come, their heart attitude was to deceive. It says, when you identify that, you're supposed to mark that and avoid it. <laughs> mark it and avoid it. Mark them and avoid them. By good words and fair speeches, they deceive the simple. Friends, I'm a big believer in simplicity. You know, I said at the beginning of this message, you come to a topic like the blood and you know, it's almost overwhelming with its complexities and how broad the subject is. But you know what? There's an element of this. It's very simple. His blood was shed for me. He died for me. I'm redeemed by the blood. These scriptures we've already read in this message, we can understand those. But it says... They deceived as simple by good words and fair speeches. But I'm a big believer in simplicity in the sense of not being removed from the simplicity in Christ, like it says. Or in the Psalms, it says that God preserves the simple. I'm a fan of that kind of simplicity, as in not living an overly complicated life as a believer. But friends, whilst that simplicity is something we can say, that's a good thing to have. I'm not a fan of naivety. I'm not a fan of gullibility. And friends, if you have a Bible in your hand, if you have a willingness to study that Bible, and if you have a soft heart before God, you can actually protect yourself from that kind of naivety and gullibility. Friends, not all the glitters in the church is gold. Not everyone that comes along talking about Jesus wants to serve Jesus. Do you know, it, it, it actually says there, and I don't think I had it down here, but it says there, um, it says there that those, that those, um, in Romans chapter 16, verses 17, mark them and avoid them, right? It says in verse 18, they serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And actually, I will come back to that in a minute. They serve, they serve not, but they come saying they're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in the church. I mean, they're talking doctrine. Surely, they, surely they're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, says, it literally says, they serve not the Lord Jesus Christ. So not all that glitters in the church is gold. Not everything that says it's born again or saved or Christian is in line with the word of God. And I don't know, do you remember, have you read in, uh, in uh, the book of 2 Kings, um, Hezekiah and that city under siege. You have Hezekiah and Isaiah there. And do you know what you have in those, when you, when you, when you go back and read that story, um, what you have is the enemy coming, okay? And the enemy speaking to, it says the Jews were on the wall. You can imagine that there's an enemy gathered around the city and there's people on the wall. And it said, They've got someone down there spreading his propaganda to those people on the wall uh, saying, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. Don't, let, don't, don't believe his words. Um, that enemy is basically saying, I'm, I'm, I'm undefeated. Nobody has conquered me so far. And uh, he said, don't, don't, he's basically saying, don't trust the deceptive words of your leader. And it says he's speaking to them in the Jews' speech. He's in their language. Do you know, that's how the enemy comes in this hour. Very deceptive. Come, <laughs> enemy turns up, turns up in, a, in, 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 in uh, the devil will walk into church in a suit and tie with a Bible under his arm wanting to teach the thing. But friends, this is what the enemy was saying in those days. They're under siege. The enemy is gathered all around and he's basically saying, nobody's conquered me. I'm undefeated. And you know, you see a godly response from Hezekiah when this enemy was threatening their security. It says Hezekiah rent his clothes. It says he covered himself in sackcloth and he went to the house of the Lord. That's a good response. That's a godly response when you're under attack of the enemy. And this is the way to counter the attack of the enemy. And it says, it, and this was God's response to Hezekiah rending his garment and going to the house of God and putting or, or putting on sackcloth. This was God's response. It says, "Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, this king that's 
uh, sieging the city. It says, he shall not come in this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor cast a bank against it. And by the way that he came, the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians and hundred fourscore and five thousand, one hundred fourscore and five thousand, one hundred and eighty-five thousand dead and when they arose early in the morning behold they were all dead corpses that's God's response to a man who cried out to him whilst in siege whilst in a city under siege but you know what in the next chapter you see Hezekiah drop his guard unfortunately so now he's been healed he's been delivered from death miraculously and it says at that time Barodak Baladan the son of Baladan king of Babylon sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick and Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah shewed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah and said unto him, What said these men? You know, I can almost see Isaiah in my eyes, or my mind's eye coming with an urgency. He says, what, what, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, All the things that are in my house have they seen. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You see, you know what? When your enemy is outside the wall, and he's coming there and they're, they're, you know if they get access into this city, we're dead. They're coming, they're breathing out threatenings. They're, they're, they're telling you, we've come to annihilate you. Don't listen to the words of your leader. We're here to annihilate you. But your leader, you go, he goes and he goes to the house of the Lord and he rends his heart and he rends his garment and he pours out his heart before the Lord. You see the Lord come in to defend that. But friends, beware of what happens afterwards. Beware of when Baradak Baladan sends you letters and gifts. Hezekiah goes, oh, come in, I'll show you around. I'll show you around. He stood and he's defended this whole city. Now, now, now they've come in, they've seen everything, all the treasure, the whole lot. The punishment on that was that they were going to be carried to Babylon and the Lord said, nothing shall be left. Your sons, your sons are going to be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's a shameful thing, but that's a warning to us. I'm talking, you kind of go, how did we get here from talking about the precious blood this morning? Because these things are under attack. And if the enemy can't get you by siege, and if he can't starve you out, and if he can't, he can't, if he can't get you out that way, the enemy will look for a way to come in, look for a back door to come in. Friends, <laughs> be careful when someone shows up with a gift. And I'm not talking about looking through narrowed eyes at each other's here if you're given a gift. I'm not talking about that. But when the enemy comes, the enemy wants to interfere with these things. It says Hezekiah showed him all the house of his precious things. All of the house of his precious things. Friends, be careful of letting the enemy in where you keep your precious things. I'm telling you what's precious to us. We've got to guard. There's no enemy comes in. 
I'm telling you, those things we've got to guard. And justification by the blood is one of those things. Justification by faith and other scriptural things. I'm not, you know, this is just one thing I'm speaking about this morning. It's every aspect of scripture. It's every aspect of the word of God. Don't you see the enemy? You hear reports from all over the world of the enemy just chipping away and people turning course and changing direction and coming out with new theories and new ideas of what they think such a scripture mean. And Paul didn't really mean that. And, and God didn't really mean that. But beware when the king of Babylon starts wanting to interfere, starts wanting to come in where your precious things are and interfere with them. By good words and fair speeches, they deceive the simple. It says they serve not, this is, they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. It says there in verse 18, but their own belly. They don't serve Jesus even if they say they do. It says in verse 18, that they, don't, that they serve their own belly. And that used to confuse me. Do you know, at initial reading, I kind of go, what does that even mean? They serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly. And you know, like in my mind, the belly was to do with food and how did that make sense? But when I started to study it out, I found that half the time, that word that's used there, that word belly, half the time it's used in the New Testament, it is to do with a womb. Now that makes more sense to me. They serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not interested in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but they want to give birth to something in the midst of simple folk that should know better, that have got the word of God, that have got a Bible, that have got the means to discern, is this right or isn't this right? You know, the Bible says in the counsel of many, there's wisdom. For something you got brought into your life, if, if, if Beradak Baladin came to your door, go, can I come in? Can you show me wrong? Can you show me all your precious things? The Bible says in the counsel of many, there's wisdom. Do you know, where to come... I remember Keith here just a couple of weeks ago exhorting us as a church or, uh, to communicate with him on, on the word of God and these things and you know even what's going on in our lives. And you know, that's, that's necessary. When we sit around these tables in the council of many, there's wisdom. A lot of stuff gets trashed out here. A lot of stuff gets dealt with here. A lot of error can get corrected very, very simply when there's conversation. But you're talking about here in Romans chapter 16 about men that want to come into the church and give birth to something. I've met a lot of pregnant men in the church. Do you understand me? Someone comes in here, oh, the men walk in the door with the Bible under their arm and they're just ready to give birth to something. They've, they've brought something here that they want to introduce and you know they want this little new pet doctrine to be taken on board or some teaching, some abstract, some obscure thing, you know, and... Uh, left a trail of destruction in every other church they've been in but they want to give birth to this in the midst and, and they want you to take this on we're going to leave you with a present here this could be your child you can adopt it you can nurture it you can raise it up it's yours and they're gone this is what happens in the church of Christ but it ought not no room for pregnant men in the church there's more meanings to that than one how did we get to this form how do, how do we, how did we get to this here from talking about the blood well, it's because we see that these things are under attack. Biblical salvation, man's need for redemption. A lot of people don't think that that's actually necessary. Man doesn't need to be redeemed. Redemption, justification, atonement, all these things are under attack. And here's some reasons why we need to frequently revisit and relearn the very things we think that we know so well, particularly regarding our justification and salvation. One, because they're scriptural teachings. Romans 3.28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith. Galatians 3.24, that we might be justified by faith. Romans 5.9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. These are scriptural teachings, friends. We ought to know what we know and why we know. And it's okay, there's room to grow in all this stuff. There absolutely is. But we must be able to give a reason, an account, to be able to defend 
things. You know, if you could be taken away from church, and we've seen people taken away from, taken away from the church, taken away from the Lord with simple arguments. You know, if you just knew to refute that, if you just knew to refute that, to st- how to stand your ground in the word of God, because there's a thousand people want to come and they want to come with convincing arguments and good words and fair speeches and tell you why you should not believe the things you do. These are scriptural teachings. That's the first reason why we need to come back and revisit and relearn these things. There are scriptural teachings and we're living in deceptive days. We need to stay scriptural. It's, you know, it's a scriptural teaching that being justified by God comes by faith. Two, because we tend to let things slip. Second reason why we need to come back and visit these things. We tend to let things slip, doubts can grow, and we forget. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And it says, in, it says two verses later, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? If, you know, you can identify neglect straight away. You know, you just look at a garden that's overgrown with weeds or briars. You go, there's been neglect there. You go, there was bread left there last week and you come back this week and it's, it's moldy, it's hard, it's stale. You go, that's been neglected. You see the effects of neglect all the time. Everything in this world, every single thing tends towards decay and destruction. Everything. You leave this building long enough, it'll decay. It'll, you'll come back here. Televisions will have fallen off the wall and chairs will have fallen apart in 10 years' time. Nothing would have, would have even been touched. Paint will start flaking, flaking off the wall. Everything just tends towards decay in this life. But you know what? We ought not to let these things, we give, give the more earnest heed, it said, lest at any time we should let these things slip. We're not to let these things slip. How, how do you prevent against that? You come back, you revisit them often. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Don't neglect it. Come back often, come back frequently. Do you know, we tend to let things slip. Doubts can grow. I remember in here just studying this John in prison, um, John the Baptist, and he ends up in prison. And, you know, it says of John the Baptist that he was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Do you know, it said he preached repentance. He preached to prepare the way of the Lord. He preached Christ, the sacrificial lamb of God. You say, what a man was John. What a man was John. Preached Christ, the sacrificial lamb of God. But when in prison, it says that he sends two disciples to Jesus. Are you he that should come? Or look we for another. You kind of go, whoa, something's gone wrong here with John. Why is John saying this? This is John that baptized Jesus. This is John that rebuked the, the hypocrites. You know, this is John that this is John that said, Behold the Lamb of God. This is John that preached repentance and, and lived while and you know you know, filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother. You go, What went wrong here? What went wrong that, that John says, Are you he that should come? Or look we for another. I tell you, there's a doubt where there wasn't a doubt before. I want you to think about that this morning. A man filled with the Holy Ghost in prison. You know, I don't think that John was negligent. I don't think that John was foolish. But I think he was a brother with the effects of prison all around him. A brother in chains. I think there was maybe disillusionment came. Friends, beware of letting things slip. Is there questions in your mind over things concerning salvation in Jesus where there were no questions before? It comes back to examining these things of our salvation, of the blood of faith. Come back, look closely, scrutinize these things. You know, Jesus had said, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen greater than John the Baptist, yet John's in prison. Now, Jesus remedied that, I believe. You know, go tell John the things you see in here. 
he's saying, go and encourage John. Tell him that the tell him that the lame are healed. Tell him that the sick are healed. Tell him that the dead are raised. You know, go and encourage that man in prison. Go and help him remember again. Friends, if we have a Bible in our hands, we're excuseless. We don't have an excuse. We can go back and remind ourselves of these things. We've got more access now than anyone ever did at any age all throughout history to sermons, good teaching. There's a website, Limerick City Church has a website, sermons on it, a YouTube page, sermons on it, Spotify, sermons on it. Friends, we've got more access to the word of God, not even from here, other good preachers around the world, other men of God that are interested in protecting the bride of Christ and, the, and cause, helping the church to stand, encouraging those believers. Avail of it. If we don't avail of it, I'll tell you, does neglect starts to come in? Does a few weeds start to grow? Does things start getting stale and moldy? And that oughtn't to be the case. We tend to forget you know, Paul cried in Galatians 3, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? And that portion of scripture in Galatians, it's because Paul was looking at Galatians who's let things slip concerning justification by faith. You know, it says in verse 2, This only would I learn of you. Did you receive, I'm paraphrasing here, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? And further over in verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. It means if you're inconsistent, if you're going to live by the law, you're going to live by the law. And if you don't, if you don't fulfill all of that, you're cursed. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, for it's evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, written Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Do you know, you see Paul there with the Galatians going, You fools, you've let this thing slip. You started out by faith here. Do you think you're going to start out in the spirit and now you're going to be made perfect by the work of the flesh? He goes, This is utter foolishness like and and you know what he's doing here when he starts to tell him that christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law where's he bringing back to christ back to the cross back to the blood back to justification by faith justification by the blood friends we let we, we we can let things slip doubts can grow and we can end up forgetting what's the remedy for forgetting charles spurgeon said remembering remembering is the remedy to forgetting frequent reminders do you know if you have to take scriptures and write them on your hand or write them on your fridge or write it on a piece of paper and stuff it in your dashboard so that you see it every time you sit in the car if you have to speak often of it if you sit down with believers go you know what i want to speak about the justification by by the blood i want to speak about the blood study it out get very familiar with it these are all things these are how we remember things. I remember when we were in Foss many years ago out in Raheen, um, I believe Damien's online, Damien, Tom O'Farrell, Hillier's Fundamentals of Motor Vehicle Technology, our instructor out there. Lads, have you got your fundamentals? Don't forget your fundamentals. I'll tell you, every time... It, you know, it sticks in my mind to this day with this book called Hillier's Fundamentals of Motor Vehicle Technology and he says lads don't forget your fundamentals don't forget well it's like that in the scripture it's, it's, like, it's like that in, in, the, in our spiritual walk as a believer there are things fundamental to our faith there are things of the blood and the atonement these are fundamental things that cannot be replaced with something else that, that oughtn't to be forgotten about and these are a foundation that our whole life has actually ended up being built upon 
you know, if the foundation is bad, how will the building be? We see all right across Turkey, there's the earthquakes, the collapses, and no doubt there's buildings that collapse that shouldn't have collapsed because the foundations were bad. The remedy to forgetting, remembering. Ephesians 2 verse 11, Wherefore, remember that ye were being in time past Gentiles in the, in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Remember that at the time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. What's he calling them to remember again? How you were made nigh to Jesus by the blood of Christ. How you were brought in to the fold. It was by the blood of Christ. Third reason, why should we come back and look at these things often? Because we're often distracted. Our minds are often elsewhere. We all have been busy lives we understand that but when is the last time you took deliberate time to think on these things concerning justification like we have this morning when is the last time you took deliberate time and said I'm just going to sit a while and I'm going to deliberately think on these things just something brother Noel in Borska in England has said uh, he said a lot, he doesn't even know uh, that this stuck in my mind but he just said it in passing and it sticks in my mind to this day and I just thought I remember at the time it so challenged me you know he said he just likes to sit and think about the Lord and I just thought, man, this, phew, need to preach a message on that. Thinking on the Lord. Thinking on the Lord. That sticks with me to this day. Do you know, when's the last time you took any time to think on these things concerning justification? Do you think it would be good and edifying or is it just something that would rob precious time out of your day? I'm telling you, it could only have a good effect in our lives. Philippians 4, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. The Bible says we're supposed to set our thoughts in a direction if we've been justified by faith. Colossians 3.1 If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things, not on, things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Absolutely beautiful. We're told to think on these things. What's true and honest and just and pure and lovely and a good report. If it is any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. I'll tell you, if this salvation isn't that, it's not much of a salvation. Fourth point, why ought we to come back and remember and look at these things? Because they're attacked by Satan. Just as the devil was there in the Garden of Eden with Eve to twist and pervert God's word, so he is trying to twist and pervert God's word today. It says in Revelation chapter, 12 and uh, verse 9 and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world we're in a deceptive hour he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down now listen to this he's, this is the devil Satan this is the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night and they overcame him how? by the blood of the lamb by the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death so you could paraphrase that and say they overcame him because they had a healthy understanding of justification by the blood they knew the power of the blood they found a remedy for the accusations of the enemy and they loved not their lives unto death 
Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We're talking about reasons. We need to come back and focus on the blood and remind ourselves of these things. Because this enemy, as a, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Joe, the devil here is likened to a lion, because a lion is a predator. And predators know how to stalk prey. They know what to do. They know how to move. They know when to lie down. They know when to watch, when to wait and when to move in for a kill. They are absolutely merciless and will not stop chasing until they taste blood. That's a lion. Lions roar and they say lions can petrify, make afraid, terrify, immobilize, paralyze their prey with that roar. And for good reason here, the devil is compared to a lion. Haven't you heard the roaring of that lion in your ear? Haven't you felt that paralysis? Haven't you had that accusation come? I'm telling you, Peter says, be vigilant. And be sober, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. If you thought for one moment there was a roaring lion, a literal roaring lion, on that square, and you needed to get to your car after this meeting, and that you could be devoured in a second, how, how carefully would you move across the square? How vigilant would you be? How sober? I'm telling you, you wouldn't be walking along looking at your phone. You'd be going, where's the lion? Where's the lion? Where's the lion? And I'm not talking about walking in paranoia here as a believer either. But you only have to look around the church and see that the doctrine of justification by faith is under attack. The, the lion is roaring. How do you know? Because there's a lot of people broadening the narrow way. Because the new birth isn't preached like it should be. Because the focus of pastors and preachers isn't where it should be. And you know, the enemy would love to keep us occupied with many things, busy with many things. But friends, we must come back and fix our mind and focus our mind on these things. In Ephesians 6, it talks about the full armor of God. And this is still on the idea of keeping our minds refreshed by these doctrines uh, because they're attacked by the Satan. And in Ephesians 6, this full armor of God, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. You know, these aren't just quaint little kind of little examples, and oh, that's a nice little thought that we've got armor. No, we've got actual armor against an actual enemy that wants to actually destroy us, that's actually angry, that we'll cleave so fast to things like the power of the blood, and justification by the blood but it says wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand friends I'm telling you just to stand in the midst of a perverse hour where so many are faltering and wavering and falling away and broadening the narrow path just to stand I'm telling you is winning a victory just to stand puts you on the enemy's radar just to stand is provocative to him. And it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Where do we get truth? The word of God. The word of God from here on out, we're going to be visiting frequently and reminding ourselves of. The loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. What's that breastplate of righteousness? The righteousness of Christ. I am covered over with a robe of righteousness. It's the accomplishments of the blood. It's what Christ has done. It's, it's that finished work of the cross. My righteousness is what Christ has done. And that's a breastplate and that covers what? What does the breastplate cover? Your heart, your vital organs, what's internal. I'll tell you, there's a spiritual meaning to that that is absolutely equivalent to wearing an actual armor metal breastplate, a bulletproof vest as it were, that stops spiritual bullets. 
the breastplate of righteousness. And it said, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Don't walk barefoot in this hour. Have your feet shod with the preparation of what? The gospel of peace. How do we know what the gospel of peace is? We read it in the Bible frequently when we return there to refresh our minds about what this gospel is and what this gospel is not. And it says, above all, taking the shield of faith, that riot shield, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Some of the fiery darts, no, it says, ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of what? Salvation. What are we talking about? Salvation. Justification by the blood. The finished work of the cross. What's the helmet for? Protects the brain, protects the mind. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I'm nearly done, friends. Do you know, friends, that enemy is not just against justification by faith, but he is against all of scripture. He does not want us living by the word of God, like we sing here, living by the word of God. Ever raising question marks, casting doubts, scattering seeds. James says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. What's the fifth reason we need to go back and visit these things in scripture frequently? Because your peace of God gets disturbed. Unless you're unusual, unless you're different to me, your peace of God gets disturbed. Justification by faith is very linked with your peace with God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that relationship stays the same, but the peace can go. You know, you can get paranoid thoughts, doubts, anxieties can grow, wonderings. Have I sinned? Lord, I don't feel you like I used to feel you. But you know what? Being come back, look at these things, gives you rest, brings you back to a place of rest. Do you know, it brought you into rest when you were in turmoil over sin, when you were a sinner that was lost, coming back and realizing and discovering the accomplishments of the blood and that Christ had died on your behalf. It brought you rest in. Why shouldn't it bring you rest now? It brings you back to rest when you've been in unrest as a believer. And I tell you, friends, when we look at these things, it is refreshing. It is overwhelming. Six, why do we need to come back and look at these things often? Because it's an anchor. Hebrews 6.19, which hope we have as an anchor for the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil where is your hope is it set in Christ friends what's an anchor for it's to stop you from being moved that anchors in you're not moving do you know friends I know boats and I don't know a lot about boats but I know boats uh, I've watched videos people you know anchoring at night anchoring in a storm but when that anchors out it doesn't stop you getting tossed around it doesn't stop you feeling the effects of the storm it doesn't stop the waves crashing over your vessel but it does stop it moving it does stop you getting carried away it does stop you getting shipwrecked it does stop you getting blown up on the rocks we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll fastened to the rock which cannot move grounded firm and deep in the saviour's love and friends it's evident that we will find ourselves in storms in this life and therefore we will need an anchor it's evident we're going to find ourselves out at sea at night time and we're going to need an anchor it's going to be dark and won't be able to see much but friends that boat with its anchor out it's not still it's not you couldn't set a cup of tea on the table when the storm is blowing but it just stops that vessel going anywhere thank god for the anchor he gives us but when we face storms when we fear shipwreck or have some crisis in our life we can cast our anchor out. It says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Seventh reason, because 
coming back and remembering these things puts Christ central. You can't talk about being justified by the blood or being justified by faith without dealing with Christ. You can't have any kind of a conversation without mentioning Christ. Faith, you know, friends, faith is not just some nebulous, hazy, kind of an undefined kind of an, an aspect of a thing. Faith is confidence. You know, it puts Christ central when you come back and look at these things. It puts Christ central in your life. Your heart starts to get overwhelmed again. You start to think of his great love for us, of his obedience in going to the cross. And that confidence, that faith, that confidence is in Christ, his blood and his accomplishments. Eighth reason, because it gives correct perspective. Do you know, you've seen videos or you've taken videos or taken a photograph and you've gone back and looked at it afterwards and, you know, it was just a, it was just a, a bit out. It was a bit blurry. Or, do you know, you, you see someone bringing something into focus. You know that moment when everything gets sharp and it's like your eye just kind of clicks and you kind of go, I see clearly now. Well, that's what this does. Come back and look at the blood. Come back and look at the finished work of the cross. Thinking on Christ. Thinking on these things. Setting your affections on things above. It gives correct perspective. That is what these things do. Everything was blurry before. Have I done enough? Maybe I need to do more for the Lord. Maybe I'm unsettled over your salvation. I know, you know, we hit potholes and hiccups along the way um, but friends come back focus on these things doesn't it start with everything in perspective again all the jigsaw pieces the higgledy piggledy mess of it just settles down into position you go I rest again I see it again nine why, why do we need to come and look at these things because it's what makes your belief fundamentally different from every other belief justification by the blood friends not everyone is justified by faith in the blood many are seeking to justify themselves with works biblical Christianity is fundamentally different to every Every other belief system you'll ever come across in this world. Every religion or cultish thing you come across, you start asking questions. Tell me about your faith. Tell me how your religion works. And it's not long till you find out it's just some other works-based thing. Do you know, this person is making, attempting to please or try and appease their God. I met a Muslim man out in UL one time and we were out there just, just speaking to people, passing tracts and, um, do you know, I, I ended up telling him and you know it wasn't as blunt as this we were having a conversation but in that conversation I told him I said your God doesn't love you because he just told me all the things that his religion required of him he had told me all the things that his God required him to do and I just said man I said your God doesn't love you and he was always in the hope of maybe making it to heaven. Maybe. I said, your God doesn't love you. He couldn't. He binds heavy burdens on you. He scrutinizes you. And if you fail, there's no grace. There's no help. There's just a demanding God waiting to smite you for your inadequacy. I told him that the God I serve is a God of love. A God who gave me what my sin didn't deserve. That's his grace. A God who withheld his wrath from me. That's his mercy. A God who gave his only begotten son to bleed and die and make atonement for my sin. That's a God of love. That's a God who cares. For come back and examine this great subject in scripture and learn or relearn again the doctrine of justification you'll begin to see afresh the great differences between the teachings of the Bible and every other false religion I'm telling you you cannot walk your way to God the enemy would have you believe you could this is what he's blinded people with 10 because looking at these things makes you preach to others. It's absolutely fundamental in all gospel preaching. In fact, you have not got a gospel to share if you don't understand justification by faith. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. If all you can preach is the need to do good works, you have no gospel, no good news. And when you delve into these scriptures and meditate on them and start to think upon them and dwell on them, it starts to motivate you. It starts to animate you. It'll light a fire under you. The gospel will go and make 
make you speak to others. Do you know, let it get big in you. Think upon these things. Set your affections on these things like scripture said. Let it get a big thing in you and don't dare to keep it secret. And when you start to see the liberty it brings in you, you won't dare to keep it into yourself. Well, if you say, I feel that I can't preach or I won't preach to others or tell them of this great salvation that you've been saved with friends, there's something wrong with that. You know, can you imagine like, you know, I've got a loaf of bread like and I'm passing like just poor people, no bread. And I've just got my loaf of bread and I'm just keeping it to myself a little nibble every now and again and, and it satisfies me, but I won't share a thing. You know, if we see our kids do that, we try and knock that behavior out of our kids. We try and say, share your sweets. Stop, stop being mean, share your sweets. Friends, I'm telling you, that's what this gospel is. When you go back and you start to see it, it will motivate you. It will make you to preach to others. It says in Proverbs 24, 11, if you forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, if you won't do it, and, if you're, and, and those that are ready to be slain. If you say, behold, we knew it not, does not he that ponders the heart consider it? And he that keeps your soul, does he not know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? You might not stand in a, preach corner, a street corner. You might, not stand, uh, you might not stand in a pulpit and preach it. But every one of us, we are under an obligation to communicate this gospel to those who are unsaved. Eleventh reason, because it motivates you to lay your life down and take up your cross. When you begin to look at the cross and the blood, how? How does it do it? How can it not do it? When you start thinking on being justified by faith, the process of it, the things that had to happen for you to become justified, you very quickly arrive at the foot of the cross, looking up at that bleeding man of Calvary, that man of Calvary that shed his blood for me. Am I now going to be a selfish person? And I'm just going to take everything that Jesus gave to me and I'm going to hug it and hold it and keep it to myself and it's going to be it's going to be my thing that brings me peace and joy. I'm just going to sit in it and I'm going to stay stationary with it. Or am I going to see that because he laid his life down for me, I must lay my life down for him. When we're thinking about being justified by faith, we think about a blood redemption. It says we're, we're purchased by his blood. It says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It motivates you to lay your life down, to do what you wouldn't normally do, to reevaluate your priorities, to come back and say, I'm my whole life pushing this direction. Could be a career, could be a job, could be earning money, could be, could be a thousand other things. Some ambition, some ambition. But I kind of go, I've realized I'm not my own. I've realized I've been bought with a price. And it says, I'm to glorify God in my body and in your spirit, which are God's, not my own anymore. It motivates you to lay your life down and to take up your cross. Bible says in Romans chapter 8, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Do you know what? All your lifetime you lived in the flesh. All your lifetime you satisfied the lusts of this body. All your desires, all your cravings, all of the things you wanted to do. Your whole life before coming to Christ. But it says if you continue in that as a believer, if ye live after the flesh, you, you will die. You're introducing death where there's life. You're bringing in something that is going to kill you but if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body ye shall live all your affections and lusts you lay them down before the cross you mortify those deeds of the body it says ye shall live and it says for as many as are led by the spirit of God they are the sons of God you know I've come across people there who 
said have been led by the Spirit of God to do things that are just plain contrary to Scripture, just plain not of God at all. You kind of go, that's not real, that, or that, that's not true, that's, that, that's, not, that's not correct, that's not right. If you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You know, that's taking up the cross, mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Twelfth reason. And there's only two more. Twelfth reason, because it brings relief. Like we've said often throughout this message, when you start to think and dwell upon these things, it puts a spring in your step. It's good for you. It encourages you. It uplifts you. It reminds you of your position. It overwhelms your soul all over again. It lifts up a magnificent Jesus. It lifts up the head that hangs low. It lifts up the heart that is sorrowful. It strengthens weak knees. It kindles glowing embers that look like they're about to go. It brings relief. And you know what? Not alone in you. Yeah, you go back. You study these things. Get yourself relief. But friends... Can we not learn to bring each other relief with these things? Can we learn to encourage one another? I'm very, very, I, I'm before the Lord, I've been saying recently, make me someone to encourage others. Do you know what, right? Someone encourages you with something someday. You know that feeling you get? It's just, it's just nice. It's just helpful. Maybe even shifts your mindset a small bit. Maybe even picks you up just a little bit. Can we not do that for one another in the body of Christ? Can, have we not got a whole book of things to encourage one another with? I go, Lord, help me to be an encourager. Help me to bring relief. When I see a brother or sister in turmoil, do you know what we've seen in this church? I've, I've noticed this. I spoke to Soph about this. We've, we've observed this many times. Do you know when I most feel like where I'm having the most rotten week ever and we're coming to meetings, maybe even hoping that just looking to come into a prayer meeting and not get too involved, just to need to pick me up this evening. Well, oftentimes when I'm having that kind of a week, everyone else is too. You know, we think it's just us, we're locked in. Friends, I'm telling you, we must learn to bolster one another, to bear one another's burdens, to bring each other relief, to help one another. Amen. I'm telling you, friends, we can do that. I'm going to be looking for ways to do that. Thirteenth reason, last reason here, because it tempers the heart attitude. Going back, remembering the blood, remembering the cross, justification, all these things. It tempers the heart attitude and it keeps us gracious and forgiving. How does it do that, Paul? Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye, even as Christ forgave you. Friends, it tempers your heart attitude. How can you stand before the cross? How can I stand before the cross and go, Lord, I'm so thankful for all that you've done for me. I'll see him over there. I refuse to drop this quarrel. I refuse to drop the argument I have against heaven. I go, it tempers the heart attitude, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Friends, Satan knows that these are the things that keep him from having dominion over our lives. When we walk that narrow path, when we're focused on the word of God, when it's filling our minds, filling our hearts, when we're conversing about it, when we're endeavoring to walk out this life before the Lord, he knows these are the things that keeps him from having dominion over our lives. And it's for this reason I say we need to frequently go back and visit these things and renew our minds and go, Lord, keep us. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads today. Father in heaven.
Lord, we thank you for your great goodness, O oh God. We thank you for the precious blood. Lord, we thank you, O oh God, for this redemption. We thank you for our position in Christ. We thank you for where you've placed us, O oh God, whether we feel it or not this morning, O oh God. We thank you for a gospel, O oh God, that you motivate us to want to communicate to others, O oh God. Lord, we thank you this morning, O oh God, for the precious blood of Jesus. We thank you that you're the Lord. Lord, you store us up, O oh God, when we need stirred up, O oh God. You pick us up when we're cast down, O oh God. Father, Lord God, you teach us to do the same for each other. Father, we bless and magnify your name this evening. Oh Lord, will you keep us coming back to the wells of salvation to draw up bucket loads, oh God. Lord, I thank you, Lord. Your word is a reservoir. It's a mighty river, oh God. Lord, Father in heaven, help us not to live barren and ignorant, oh God. Father, help us not to let the bread go stale and moldy on the table, oh God. My God in heaven, help us to speak of these things often with each other, oh God. Help us, oh God. Father, we call out to you today. We love you and we thank you, oh God, for the precious, precious blood of Jesus. We thank you for justification by faith. Lord, that you've reinstated us, oh God. You've brought us back to where we could never get to, oh God. My God, I thank you. You've caused your wrath to pass from off us, oh God. Father, and will we not rejoice and will we not lift up our voices to worship you and give you thanks, oh Lord, for all that you've done. We give you thanks, oh Lord, for all that you have done. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Hallelujah.